Great to be here on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, glad you are with us here on 3 and Out. So much to get to on the show from now a lot of draft talk uh, to who's leaving, who's coming back, who's doing this and that around college football uh, and more. So we have plenty to get to here on the show. Tom Van Heeren, ESPN.com, uh, covers college football and recruiting. We'll talk to him uh, coming up in about 20 minutes on the show about Georgia Stetson Bennett coming back. JT Daniels is out. A couple other players deciding to go ahead and hit the uh, transfer portal. Also, 420, Jake Roos uh, going to join us from the On3 uh, Network. We'll talk some Georgia football with him. Paul Feinbaum has brought up an, uh, an interesting idea. If you, are, you think college football is expanded enough, Paul Feinbaum had an interesting idea about where college football could be headed. And coming up in the final hour, Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com, uh, will join us as we're starting to see mock drafts galore all out there. Uh, across the landscape as we get ready for the NFL draft. So we'll get to that coming up in the final hour of the program. As always, your comments and thoughts, welcome at Pigskin Radio there on Twitter, streaming live ESPNCoastal.com. Not up on the Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube stream just yet, but we will be uh, coming up in just a little bit. I understand we'll have that up and going. But, BJ, it is the return of Stetson Bennett. It happened late in the show yesterday, final hour. You found out. Stetson Bennett was coming back, which meant the concurring story was JT Daniels was going in the transfer portal. I think everybody assumed that uh, if Stetson was coming back at the very least, JT was going to be in the transfer portal. May have gone to the transfer portal anyway, but at the very least, uh, you knew that was going to happen. Uh, so a lot of quarterback movement uh, there for Georgia. But Stetson, the big news, uh, coming back, going to play one more season there at the University of Georgia. And I think that's great news. I mean, if you're a Georgia Bulldog fan, right, you're bringing back a starting quarterback who just won the national championship, uh, who just finished in the top five uh, for the season in passer rating. And, oh, by the way, in that national championship game was the offensive MVP. So I know on social media or whatever, fans talking, message boards, there's been from uh, maybe a small portion of the fan base some disappointment, but that's – that's crazy to me when you think about what Stetson Bennett has accomplished as well as he's played. Um, go back to the finish to this season. And I think when you're a quarterback at Ohio State, when you're a quarterback at Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, it's not necessarily what you do in week five, you know, against a team you're better than. It's it, it it's what you do on the big stage. And Stetson Bennett was outstanding in the Orange Bowl against Michigan, was about as good as you can be. In the national championship game against Alabama, his finish was near perfect. I, I mean, if not perfect, after the controversial uh, fumble call, what, 5 of 5 for 82 yards uh, and and a touchdown down the stretch, or two touchdowns, excuse me, down the stretch, uh, he was iconic when it mattered most. He was legendary. And that play, his performance, is a big reason why Georgia has a national championship. The idea that you would be disappointed that a national championship quarterback is returning that's hard for me to understand. Uh, you can be very excited about the other quarterbacks on your roster, of course, uh, but none of them have done what Stetson Bennett's done. And I, I, I think Stetson Bennett, the momentum he has, the confidence he has, the cohesion he has, I mean, the way he finished the season, Kevin, again, MVP honors in the title game. Uh, uh, what, 20 of 30 for... 300 and some odd yards, couple of touchdowns in the in the Orange Bowl. Even in the SEC championship game, threw three touchdown passes against Alabama and threw for the most passing yards of any quarterback against the Tide this season. Then you go back to the end of the regular season. What? Uh, I, th I think he had his highest passer rating 
game against a Power 5 opponent uh, of the season against Georgia Tech in Atlanta. I mean, you think about just his play, his consistency, uh, the production, the proficiency, 29 touchdowns, 7 picks, almost 3,000 yards passing. What more can you want? He just won a national championship. He did. He did. And I think people look at it and say, is there a better, younger option to go ahead and begin playing? Again, and I I guess that's the thousand yard stare. I get it. He won a national championship. Dude should be fine by everybody. But you look at it and say, we also are recruiting well. Do you run the risk of the Justin Fields, uh, the JT Daniels of, okay, I'm. I'm just tired of waiting. I'm not going to get my turn. I'm going to dip. And I think that's what uh, some of those negative naysayers uh, might be looking at when they say maybe want to go a different direction is get one of those guys a chance to play and see what they can do versus are they going to get disenfranchised sitting and waiting for their chance to play and thus transferring out once again. Because what you're talking about is also the ultimate in stories uh, where he goes out on top was the championship hadn't been done in 41 years, and now Georgia obviously looking at it and say, hey, we'd like to go back-to-back. Well, that's probably not going to happen for a number of reasons. but Really uh, tough to do. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to do. You've played a lot of games, and BJ, I just looked it up here real quick because I wanted to see how frequently that happened. Not that people don't get back, but how often. Since Georgia won the national championship in 1980, obviously 41 years ago, how many times have we seen back-to-back national champions? Uh, my guess would be in the mid nineties, you had Nebraska do it. I believe, uh, I think Alabama has done it. So Clemson hasn't Florida state hasn't, I don't think Ohio state, I think Miami would have, if not for the, 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 the call, the pass interference, they would have, but again, they did. So, so I think in that span, unless there's somebody I'm overlooking, uh, uh, SC and Southern Cal split that one of those. With uh, with you, LSU, so, so in forty SC, Alabama and Nebraska. so in forty one years, it's happened three times. It's happened three times. So the odds of Georgia going back to back not very likely uh, in, in that respect. So again, if you're saying, hey, we have a chance to go back to back if you play uh, Brock Vandegrift or or Gunnar Stockton, man, probably not. Uh, it's just it, it, again, it's just the math would say that's not like to happen. And those Alabama teams that went back to back were generationally good, uh, obviously when Nick Saban did it. Those Southern Cal teams, uh, as Ben all said, could have been to three straight national championships. They were that kind of good. Is Georgia going to be that good? They'll be very talented, but they're losing a lot to the National Football League. So I agree with you. I don't think you should fault Stetson for coming back. I think also, uh, BJ, people look at it and say, is he the starter? I mean, logic and deduction would say he just won the national championship. That's really hard for me to I'm understand. Saying, I'm saying, but, but logic and deduction would say yes, but you also have two five stars who are going to be competing in practice, and if they beat him out, do do you go with that, or you go and say, "Hey, this guy won a national championship," or you wipe the slate clean and say, "We're starting over." If you get beat out, you get beat out uh, by somebody. And again, we've seen that happen at Georgia very recently. Jacob Eason was the starter, got hurt, got beat out by a freshman. Well, he didn't win Jake the national Trump. championship. No, but I, but 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 that's my that's my point. Jake Fromm goes goes ahead and and, and wins it. Stetson Bennett is the guy who unseated a guy who was starting uh, in JT Daniels. Not once, but, tw- but twice. Did it last year, did it this year. Uh, due to injury, and never JT Daniels never got his job back. So, are we to believe by the track record with Kirby Smart that there's not going to be a quarterback competition, even if you won the national championship? Well, I think, uh, listen, I think in every program in the country, every coach will tell you that every position has 
has has a competition. I mean, but I'm talking about actually seeing that followed through. We've seen Georgia not afraid I mean, to go with the guy that wins the job, right? Right, but I think you also have a guy that not only just won that. Again, I want to reiterate these things because I think sometimes they get lost in kind of the 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 overarching conversation. He just won the national championship, and it's not like he was just there while Georgia won the national title. He was the MVP of the national title game, and he finished the season in the top five in passer rating. Like, what, what, what more are you wanting to see? And I know Ben's talked about this. If Stetson Bennett was six foot four, will we be having these conversations? I mean, I, I, I think yes. We can, we can all agree that Stetson Bennett is probably not the tallest quarterback in college football. I, I think he's probably what around five nine, five ten, somewhere in that range. Maybe, maybe a little bit taller. I don't know. But he's not six four. Okay, is Stetson Bennett going to be a top? NFL draft prospect? Probably not. There will be guys around the country who have that hype. I don't think Stetson necessarily will, but this guy is a great college quarterback. And last season represents that, validates that, reflects that. I just, you can be excited about all the players on your roster. Uh, the way Georgia recruits, I mean, who's not a five star on Georgia's roster for the most part? I mean, every position you have guys that were highly recruited, top 100 players, five-star. And then you have some guys who, for whatever reason, weren't. But Stetson Bennett, beyond whatever your recruiting profile says, has done it with his current collegiate profile, national championship, national championship game MVP, top five in the country in passer rating, elite in the Orange Bowl. As good as I can remember down the stretch of a game, uh, right up there with you know some of the guys that you would think about being there, as as is a finish to the fourth quarter in the national championship game, bright lights, big stage, all the pressure. Kevin, you know this, the entire internet waiting to go. See, Stetson lost the game. And what did he do? He was perfect. I just I understand that at a program like Georgia, you're always gonna have the next star. You're always gonna have a freshman, a sophomore, uh, you know, heck, junior everybody on Georgia's roster can play. And that's true at any college football program, but when you're the defending national champs and you recruit the way Georgia does, everybody on your roster is a star. But in terms of is it an open competition, in terms of could Stetson not be the starter, that's hard for me to understand. I just I don't know what more you would have wanted from him outside of him being taller in, in what he did last season. Uh, had a couple of games where he threw some picks. I don't know a quarterback that that didn't last year. I mean, if somebody knows of a quarterback that didn't throw any picks last year, let me know. Maybe you have a Trey Lance or somebody from a few years ago. But he was largely extremely effective at what he did. And if I, – I mean, let me ask you this, man. If, if you start an underclassman, is the expectation you're going to be in the top five, top ten nationally in passer rating? Maybe. I mean, a lot of talent on the roster, but – you have a national well, champion. I, I just what, I think to start writing the tales of next season already are right, a but, little but, premature. But, but here's yeah. what I'm asking. I understand you're kind of playing the other side, but here's what I'm asking. What more are you wanting from the quarterback position? No, I understand that. And I think the counter-argument, if I can play that, would be what more do you think he can do? And, and, I think and, what and, he just and, did no, gave, I, you, I, I gave you a that. national I, title. I understand that. And, and so what fans are looking at is say, is that is that where it is? He had an elite. And again, not, I'm just giving you the argument. Had an elite defense. He played well. Also had the ability in most of the games to say, look, I don't have to be perfect because our defense is going to cover that up and we're going to win uh, handily. I mean, do you expect that Georgia's mean, defense to take a major step back next year? With, with I think they're going to take a step back. 
I mean, you're losing nine guys. Nolan Smith. Yeah, but I still, I still think you're going to take a step back. Just what I'm asking. If, if, if we're saying there should be a quarterback competition because of all the five stars, we can't then say the defense is going to take a step back because all the five stars. No, but they, well, they are going to take a step back. And again, I'm not disagreeing with you, but uh, my. But again, if you're making an argument for change at quarterback because you want a five star, the defense is going to have a five star starting at every position. I think people look at it and say the talent behind him might, and again. Might have more playmaking ability than him on the on the top end. He get he just brought you a national championship. I'm not. I'm giving you the other side. No, and and, and I and love that, those and, guys. I think and, everybody's excited about all the quarterbacks on and, the roster. And I think people look at that and they get concerned um, for the program. And, and again, let me just say this is not Kevin's take. I'm giving BJ and I are, are playing the other side. You look at that and say you had Justin Fields. Justin Fields was a great quarterback, and he left because. It was he was he was not going to play, and not getting enough playing time. Even if you thought Jake Fromm was going to lead, do you run the risk of? And, and again, from what I understand, Brock Vandegrift and Gunnar Stockton love Georgia. They are like Georgia guys, kind of like Stetson Bennett. But at some point, if you have NFL aspirations, you have to look at it and say, how long am I willing to sit here and not play to still reach my reach my my dream? Not not develop, not get out there in live action reps against top SEC talent. Et cetera, et cetera. How, and you could say, well, it's only one year. And they'd be saying, well, I, I want two years and I'm out. That's what I'm looking for. I want to play, play again and I'm out. I don't want to wait and sit. And you see people do that all the time. JT Daniels, I don't want to sit anymore. I'm out. Uh, so, and he's a little different case, but I think that's the risk you say. You say, hey, we're recruiting all these guys. And how many of them are going to transfer simply because they're not, they're not going to get the reps they want because they're not going to be able to play. And you got a guy standing in front of them who's like, you won the national championship. Okay, where's the end game with Stetson? You've already got it done. Like, I, that's the other side. That's probably a bad argument, and that's why they're getting lambasted uh, on Twitter, BJ. But I'm, I'm that's the other side. I'm, I'm sure is are we going to lose guys that are t- just tired of sitting? I mean, do you think that happens at every other position? It, it, yeah, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. Uh, and so that's I, I'm just giving you the counterpoint of what folks who have said is like. We want to go with another guy. I mean, if you want to, uh, the only way I can, if you want a Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer, but had the opportunity to get Aaron Rodgers, are you going to say, but Trent Dilfer just won you a Super Bowl? Well, and and I, that's look, a, and I and then maybe but, that's not maybe that's apples on, and oranges there. Respect, but, but but with all due respect to the younger guys, what have the other quarterbacks on the roster done to be Aaron Rodgers? Have they been given an opportunity to be? I right, mean, but you I, said, would you take Aaron Rodgers over Trent Dilfer? I think that's different than saying, would you take a guys that have never played? Okay, let me uh, let's uh, let me uh, let me find a, a I better. I mean, I think most of us would take Aaron Rodgers over Trent Dilfer. I also don't know that Trent right. Dilfer was in the case, top five in passer rating. Uh, you'll have to squeeze the timeline a little bit. Squeeze the timeline a little bit. Trent Dilfer just won you a Super Bowl. Was he in the top five in the NFL in passer rating? He could have been. He didn't have to throw very much. Was very efficient, but. Had a great defense. This is kind of a similar situation. Had a great running game, great defense. Trent Dilfer just won you a Super Bowl. Was he the MVP of the Super Bowl? Are you winning, Are you taking Lamar Jackson and saying, but Trent's still my our guy? I, uh, no, I'm, saying, I'm saying Lamar Jackson out of college, who has a lot of upside. Lamar Jackson's maybe the most incredible college football player we've ever seen, man. I don't know that that's a fair comp to guys that have never played college football. I'm trying to give you the talent disparity I, in what people are seeing. I, I, I get it. I just I, I think Lamar Jackson is like, and all like one of the five best college football players of all I mean, time. If you're talking about talent, you're not going from Trent. You're not going from Trent Dilfer to you know uh, 
Cleo Lemon or something. That's, that's not. The, I mean, the guys behind him can play uh, reportedly, and they, they're they're very very good. But I think Stetson so, can also play. I'm not debating that he can't play. I'm saying people are saying when does that development begin with those guys who have two and three years potentially in the program versus sitting. That's an argument, not for me. That's obviously a discussion you have inside that program. we got to step aside. Tom Van Heeren will join us when we return. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hey, this is DJ Shockley, and you're listening to 3 and Out with Ben, DJ, and Kevin. Good to have you back here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, DJ Bennett here with you on this Thursday. Glad you're making us a part of your day. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Certainly, the recruiting and transfer world has uh, been a big part of college football, and it uh, continues. Tom Van Heeren covers college football and recruiting for ESPN.com. He joins us here on three and out. Tom, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Tom, can you hear us? Yeah, can you hear me? Okay, yes, uh, we, we got you, Tom. Uh, talk about just at Georgia. Uh, obviously, Stetson Bennett decides to come back. JT Daniels is out, and uh, just the effect that we see on national championships and, and recruiting guys deciding to leave and, 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 and move on. Yeah, th- this is kind of the new normal, you know? I mean, we, we've seen some big-name uh, big quarterbacks enter the transfer portal, um, and and that it's not just guys that are sitting on the bench. We've seen guys that have played. Um, you know, JT Daniels came from USC. Jackson Dart, it, who played this year for USC, he's in the transfer portal. So it's uh, it's it kind of become the norm. And what we're seeing now is coaches are are having to really go after transfer quarterbacks and high school quarterbacks to to make sure that they have enough on the roster uh, that their their depth doesn't get diminished. And we're seeing. It, you know, in the past, what we've seen with the high school prospects is coaches would would sign two high school quarterbacks. Well, now we're seeing some some colleges sign two transfer quarterbacks as well to try to just try to build up the depth, build up the competition. Uh, Nebraska is one of those teams. They signed Casey Thompson from Texas uh, and Chuba Purdy from Florida State. They've got two transfer quarterbacks coming in to replace Adrian Martinez. So. Um, you know, Georgia's depth with, with losing JT Daniels, they still have some good depth there. They've been able to have some success on the recruiting trail with high school prospects. They landed Gunnar Stockton in this past class, the number five dual threat quarterback for us. Um, so they, they still have depth. They've got, uh, they've got a good roster. Even without JT Daniels, I think they'll be okay going forward. Tom, when you think about programs like Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, when you recruit five-star after five-star athletes all over the field and uh, you know young players are getting opportunities to play now more and more, are, are, are transfers, maybe even six, seven, eight, nine transfers, kind of the reality of top programs right now? Yeah, absolutely. There's you know, with the the rule change that there's no penalty for the players to have a one-time transfer. There's no, they don't have to sit out. They're, they know that there's opportunity out there, and and I think it's just kind of become a norm now that we're we're almost referring to it as their second recruitment. That they're going through the recruiting process as high school recruits, and then a lot of times, if it doesn't work out at the first destination, they they know that they can transfer and go elsewhere. And I, I think what's added to that is uh, there's a couple of things that have have added to um, the number of transfers we're seeing is the, the quality of player that's going into the portal. 
has made it so that coaches are more willing to, to take in transfers. And I think what we saw last year, especially with new coaches, what we saw at Michigan State with Mel Tucker, he, he took his program from a two-win season in 2020 to an 11-win uh, program in 2021, and he did that through the transfer portal. They, they had a strategic um, evaluation process that they, they went out and looked for the right kind of guys. Kenneth Walker at running back was one of them that st- stands out. And he was able to build up the roster, and, and there wasn't that three-, four-year period as a new coach that you try to rebuild and try to get things back on track. It happened almost immediately. And now I think if you look at where a lot of the transfers are going, uh, it's new coaches. LSU, Brian Kelly, he, he's done a phenomenal job in the transfer portal. Billy Napier at Florida um, also done a good job. So a lot of these new coaches are, are utilizing that portal to try to rebuild and, and get things back on track quicker than they could with high school prospects. And, and Tom, to that end, are you surprised that we've seen the number of guys who were starters at the quarterback spot specifically transfer out? I mean, we've seen, what, Bo Nix, uh, the guys at LSU, Texas A&M, Nebraska, you mentioned. I mean, these were guys that were, in some cases, multi-year starters deciding to leave. And, and usually, that if you were the starter, you weren't Bolton uh, to, to go somewhere else. Yeah, some of them have been um, surprising. I, I think it's. I mean, even Casey Thompson, we talked about it at Nebraska. He played this year for Texas. Um, I, I think, you know, I, just the landscape of everything now. Relationships are important for these kids, and they. And Bo Nix had a relationship with with Kenny Dillingham, who's now the offensive coordinator at Oregon. Kenny was the offensive coordinator at Auburn uh, when Bo Nix had his best season at Auburn as a freshman. And so now they get to team up again at Oregon. Uh, so I think that matters. Dylan Gabriel transferred from UCF to, to Oklahoma. Uh, Jeff Levy is now the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, and he used to be the offensive coordinator at UCF. Um, so there, there are some ties there for some of the, the, the quarterbacks, especially that it makes sense to where they've seen success before. And, and I think some of it does make sense, but you're right. Um, the starters, there, there have been a few surprises there where they're leaving a situation where they know they're at least going to be able to compete and hold on to that starting job uh, and then ride off into the sunset or go off to the NFL. So if you're Georgia, you know, one of the top programs in the country, how do you find the balance between uh, obviously recruiting at a high level, which the Bulldogs have done, retaining talent, but also going out and looking for talent? Georgia's, you know, brought in some big-time players via the transfer portal. How do you – find that balance with the expectation of being a national championship contender every year? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I think what it comes down to is you, you have to know the chemistry in that locker room and you, you have to understand what it might do if, you, if it even leaks out through reports that you're looking for a transfer quarterback. If you've got some young quarterbacks on the roster, um, like I mentioned, Gunnar Stockton is signing in this class. They signed Brock Vandegrift. Uh, he was a freshman this year. Uh, they have Carson Beck, who's only a redshirt freshman. If, if it gets out that you're looking for a transfer quarterback, that could impact the decisions of those players currently on your roster. And you could go from having depth to seeing a couple guys leave if, if they think you don't trust them or they don't have a shot at playing. So as a coach, you need to know that. Uh, you, you need to navigate the process, but you also need to understand that you have to be in competition. The expectations are high. And if there is an elite-level quarterback out there that, that can make you better, uh, I think you, you have to explore the opportunity. You have to explore if there's mutual interest and, and go from there. But 
Um, I think Georgia has done a really good job. Those three that I mentioned, just mentioned, they have, they have some really young quarterbacks behind Stetson Bennett where they're developing some competition at the position. And as of right now, all of them are on the roster, but we'll see how that impacts Georgia in the future once Stetson Bennett is gone. Um, with those three competing with each other, if one wins out, does that impact the other? And maybe does Georgia see some transfers and movement out from their program to where then they have to make some decisions on if they need to bring someone in? Tom Van Heeren joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Tom, someone who covers recruiting, a lot of talk, discussion out there about does the transfer portal need some kind of regulation due to uh, you know all the kind of the wild wild west it seems like that's going on every day it's another guy uh jumping in uh, does it uh do we need to to have some oversight on the transfer portal or is it just hey you have the right to go go if you want but no it may not work out the way you want it to yeah i i mean at this point i don't know what, i don't know what you can do you know i i can't tell you guys uh i i've heard the phrase we let the toothpaste out of the tube more than I ever have in the last six months, more than I I have the rest of my life. I mean, a lot of people are saying that the way that things are now, how do you get the toothpaste back in the tube? Um, I I think it's, it's at a situation now where, where they allowed the, the the one-time transfer with, with, you don't have to sit out if you transfer one time. Um, and that's kind of what this has created. Now, I, I think there are other factors, in it, and it's it's unfortunate because it, there there's so much into it that I could get so far in the weeds on this <laughs> that we we we'd probably confuse some people. But there there are so many other factors to this too that even with the NIL stuff now, uh, something that I think is factoring in that wasn't really an intent of this is we're seeing agents get involved with NIL, NIL deals and, and, and the, the top players in college football are signing agents for their marketing deals. Well, those agents are now uh, a go-between for coaches to contact and say, hey, we've got a spot if this, guy, if this guy's interested or he's not happy there, we've got a spot and we've got an opportunity for him to play. Um, I, I think that's the side of it. And, and even with coaches just going through trainers and um, other other outlets rather than just contacting the player directly. I think there are some aspects to it that weren't intended with the transfer process that are happening, and I think that's the stuff that probably need to focus on because I don't I don't think you can change anything now with the players and how they transfer and where they transfer and when they transfer. Tom Van Heeren, our guest here on Three and Out. Tom, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. See you. Appreciate it. Tom Van Heeren joining us here on 3 and Out and uh, covers recruiting and college football there for ESPN.com. Uh, and as he said, the toothpaste kind of out of the tube on the transfer uh, portal, BJ, but uh, you look at guys moving around. I think some of this will calm down when you get the super classes out of the way, and I'll say that, like the, the super senior, super junior, super – because you have guys that right, right. I mean, you have guys that are getting ready to play their third season of college football that are technically sophomores. You have a log jam. Uh, yeah, so roster. so your rosters are absolutely bursting at the seams with guys because you have uh, basically guys who probably would have been out of college football already getting a whole extra year, and that's going to be a four year cycle to get all those guys out of the way. Plus, they have a red shirt on top of that. So, uh, no no appeals process to get that. You have guys that could spend six years in college football, and have one red shirt, no medical appeal, no medical, so it's creating kind of a lot. So I think that's some of it. But, uh, again, I'm interested to see how that continues to play out, BJ, with guys who are starters, like a Bo Nix, who just say, you know what, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm up and out. And 15 years ago, 10 years ago, that would have been unthinkable to say, I'm the starting quarterback at School X, much less 
I'm the starter at the at an SEC school. I'm looking to bolt. Like, you just wouldn't have said that. And in the case of Knicks, you're talking about a three-year starter who, among other accomplishments on his resume, has success in the Iron Bowl, you know, went over Alabama. So, yeah, some of this stuff is is surprising from the outside looking in. But as Tom said, just a lot going on. And uh, it's, it's, it's a lot to follow every day, quite frankly. We've got more to come here. Three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. NFL playoffs this weekend. Some exciting games upcoming as well. It's three and out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We'll be back three and out on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, glad you are with us. Jay Cruz going to join us next hour talking Georgia football uh, with him. We'll get to take three coming up in just a little bit, but we got playoff games coming up this weekend. BJ Bennett, what are you most looking forward to? What game are you most looking forward to? You got Bengals, Titans, 49ers, Packers on Saturday. Sunday, you got the Rams, Bucks, Bills, Chiefs on the docket here this weekend. Oh, I think Bills at Chiefs is what it's all about. Uh, I think. Tradition-rich franchises, uh, teams that have been dominant during the regular season. And remember, if you go all the way back, I believe, to the first month of the season or or maybe early in the second month, uh, uh, Buffalo beat Kansas City in Kansas City. I think Josh Allen had a big game that afternoon. So uh, two quarterbacks that can absolutely light it up. Mahomes, when he's on, is probably the best there is in the National Football League or right up there with Brady and and Rodgers, uh, this is going to be fun. I think high scoring, the weather is going to be significant, but I don't think that bothers either of these two teams given where they play. But I think that's one I'm looking at. I, I think uh, Cincinnati, Tennessee, interesting as well. We'll see what Derrick Henry's availability is. Uh, hopefully he can go. But the Bengals, it's been a while since they've been in some big games. I mean, you're talking about possibly getting to the AFC Championship. Uh, I don't know when the last time the Bengals where in that position was, and Joe Burrow's becoming this superstar. That offense is fun to watch. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins throwing it all over the place. Uh, I think those two stand out. Uh, Look, I don't know how you pick against Brady at this point. I don't know how you pick against Rodgers at this point. But if I had to pick one, Kevin, one game that this I I have to watch this weekend, I think Kansas City-Buffalo because two teams that I think have had championship expectations all year – two teams that have validated that throughout the season and two teams that feel like they're the team to beat for the Super Bowl yeah. or at the very least challenge Tampa out of the AFC. I think that's the one I'm watching. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you were to be objective about it, that's the that's the game you want to see, right? It's, it's Mahomes, Josh Allen, two teams that can get up and down the field. I think that's the one uh, you want to see. I think one that a lot of people are looking forward to, if it comes to that, would be Rodgers-Brady the next weekend, but that's not happening. I think... Packers 49ers doesn't have that same kind of cachet. I think one that'll be really interesting if you want to uh, pin me down is like, what would be my two? And I think it's even over Bucks Rams. would be Bengals Titans just because you have a defensive team that's going to want to come out and run the football against Joe Burrow and the Bengals, who have been one of the better stories of the National Football League. He got beat up last year, hurt, couldn't play, and the Bengals said, you know what? We probably should make some moves to make sure he stands upright and doesn't become the most hit quarterback in the National Football League, which he was until he went out. Matt Ryan this year, most hit quarterback in the National Football League, made those adjustments, and where'd that team go? Took right off uh, this year, and I'm interested to see. Cincinnati hadn't won a playoff game in 30 years up until last week. Can they win two in a row? I mean, no, I mean, I'm saying, you don't win. Like, normally it's like we haven't done something in 30 years. You don't just turn around and do it again. Like, Hey, we haven't won a playoff game in 30 years. 
You don't typically just, okay, we're going to win it again next week. Like, it's, there's a reason it's taking you so long to get there, but could they actually do it? Go to Nashville and uh, upset a team that has the bye or had the bye in the Tennessee Titans. Well, and I think Joe Burrow is, is a guy that, of course, did it in college to a historic level with the Heisman Trophy, the national championship, undefeated, set the passer rating record. And I think bouncing back from the injury has been next level in the National Football League. And how do you slow down that offense, playmakers all over the place? I think that is going to be a very compelling matchup. I mean, maybe we're relying too much on past precedents, but I do think when you talk about Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay, when you talk about Tom Brady and Tampa, you're at home, you have the better quarterback uh, in, in, in both of those matchups. I think those feel like, to me, on paper, games that are going to go chalk to me. I think there's some intrigue with Kansas City, Buffalo, not quite sure what to expect maybe. I I think Cincinnati, Tennessee, even though Tennessee's the one seed and had the bye, Cincinnati seems to have kind of that 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 momentum and energy. So I, maybe a little bit of uncertainty in terms of what's going to happen in those games. I mean, do you think it's fair to say that with Green Bay and Rodgers and Tampa Bay and Brady, with all due respect to the Rams and the 49ers, and maybe – Maybe the Rams have a better chance. Stafford would be an interesting yeah, case uh, because chance. he's he likewise has had like no postseason success. Yeah, just won his first throughout his career. Game. Yeah, so but I think I, he would be an interesting case that you you might see a lot of people pull for just because they're like, dude has played for the Lions and never had any success and now goes to the Rams and got a playoff win first go round. So and I think the 49ers, great win in Dallas, great win, and uh, what a disappointing loss for the Cowboys. Cam, you called that, but. I, I don't know if San Francisco has enough to go from that, and that was a great win, to go and beat Green Bay at Green Bay. Now, look, you got Debo, you got playmakers all over the place, but Jimmy G against Aaron Rodgers, Green Bay's kind of been building for this championship run this season. I think that's a tough ask for the 49ers. Yeah, I, I do too, and again, Aaron Rodgers – sat at home and cleaned his house last week. He said he was getting caught up on the honey-do list. Like, hey, I have an off week. I'm cleaning house. I, I don't know if he actually did that. I'm sure he's got somebody that can take care of that for him if he doesn't want to do it. But a rested Green Bay team coming in. Again, Lambeau, one of the toughest places to play in, uh, especially in the postseason. Uh, could this be the last hurrah for Rodgers in Green Bay? Well, that's another I mean, so, so many, uh, As you said, so many storylines like, I, I think I think the 49ers are in trouble. <laughs> Basically, I think there's a lot that's going Green Bay's way uh, in this one. Uh, to me, the two most compelling are the first two we talked about. I, and again, Tom Brady and the Rams, I, I like that game, but again, you just feel like Tom Brady has been, like, he's, at this point, you just chalk it up, right? I mean, it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, last week, you said, uh, and he goes out and obliterates the competition. He's thrown for more touchdowns than anybody in the league. He's the oldest quarterback playing. It's like, is it even? Is it gotten boring at this point uh, in terms of what Tom Brady's doing in the National Football League? Yeah, and I think in terms of in terms of kind of big picture, looking at the Super Bowl, uh, you probably and everybody wants this matchup. Feel like the favorites are are Green Bay and Tampa Bay, and that's how it's going to go in the NFC. And then in the AFC, I sort of feel like the winner of the Kansas City Buffalo game is 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 the favorite because. You're looking at, yes, Tennessee being the one seed, but do you have an elite quarterback in Ryan Tannehill? And then Cincinnati, as you yeah. said, just won their first playoff game in in, in 30 years. Yeah. So I kind of feel like it's uh, Green Bay, Tampa Bay waiting on the horizon, and then what we're going to see with Kansas City and Buffalo probably determining 
at least in my mind, early pick who goes to the Super Bowl. Certainly. Let's take a phone call. We got a phone call from a long ways away here, BJ. AC in New Jersey. I mean, I'm assuming listening on the stream. <laughs> AC, welcome to, to Three and Out. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How you guys doing? Good afternoon. Hey, hey, man, we're doing fantastic. Cool. Well, everybody's talking about the NFL playoffs. Sometimes you got to take a risk. I'm going to take a risk. If I had to put my money on it, I'll go with the Cincinnati Bengals to upset the Tennessee Titans. I mean, you have to pick an upset. Sometimes you just have to go crazy, man. But I do have the Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs, to win the Super Bowl against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The reason I say the Buccaneers and the Chiefs, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, how many chances would you get against Tom Brady if you want to start uh, a d- dynasty in Kansas City, or if you want to take the torch, you got to beat that guy. You want to be the man? you got to beat the man. Tom Brady is the man. If I'm not mistaken, he won seven championships. And off the record, this is my 10th time calling 10 different radio shows. <laughs> Love ya. Hug them home. Hey, hey, we appreciate it. Thanks so much for Again, uh, this has been the season of if you want to be the man, you got to beat the man, right? Braves want to win the World Series. You got to get through the Dodgers. No, I like. And then, it. And then if you Georgia, hey, you want to be the the, the, the national champions? You got to beat. But the Alabama Crimson Tide. Yes. Pick. Hey, I'm taking. I'm taking the Bengals over the Tide. And Ben's not here to be frustrated yes. or argue. <laughs> Is it? I mean, would it be? I mean, I think that's a very competitive game, boy. So Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, or Ryan Tannehill. And I know there's more going on, but <laughs> Christian is. Uh oh. He's got. He's he's seething about something. Okay. Can you tell me what Joe Burrow, college and NFL's record is in must-win, gotta-have-them games? Probably undefeated. Undefeated with zero interceptions. Joe Burrow wins football games. Bet against him at your own risk, Kevin Thomas. I think he had a pick in the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, how, how many? Sophomore. Fiesta Bowl's not must-win. Okay. All right, not must-win. What qualifies as a must-gotta-have-it? Winner go home. Winner season's over. All right. Okay, I like Fair that. Fair enough. Good stuff. Good stuff. Fair enough. He'll be, he'll be smoking the, the stuff. I'm not ready to say they're going to go home on Saturday. I, I'm interested to see about Derrick Henry because, again, I think if the Titans get a lead and you can put it in. Derrick Henry or Joe Burrow, you can only have one. Playoffs, yeah. I mean, I know you need a quarterback, but, again, if I have if I have the Titans defense, I'll go the running back and salt that game away. Derrick Henry hasn't played since Halloween. Hopefully I don't he good. Go. He's fresh. <laughs> he can give it to him 50 times. That's fine. Say, hey, you missed a whole season worth of contact. Go deliver some punishment. <laughs> Joe Burrow can't score if he doesn't have the football. You know what I'm saying? So, there we go. We'll come back. We got more to come. Three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Three and out here on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett will take three next hour. Jake Roos on 3.com talking Georgia football will join us coming up. And, BJ, the parade has been set. We talked a lot about Stetson uh, this hour. Blackshear, Georgia, home of Stetson Bennett there in Pierce County. Going to hold the Champions Parade January 30th at 2 p.m. I imagine there will be a lot of folks in Blackshear lining the uh, the streets there, honoring Stetson Bennett 2020 uh, Georgia football team and uh, and other the 2020 Pierce County football team and other recent champions. So the 2020 team, high school team, won the state championship. Obviously with COVID, didn't uh, have the the parade, but now you get a parade of champions through Blackshear. Stetson Bennett national champion, Pierce County state champions from 2020. And uh, that's going to be going on there on Saturday, January 30th. So a week from Saturday there in Blackshear, 2 p.m. Going to be celebrating the title there in Blackshear, Georgia. Oh, and a, and a lot to celebrate. I mean, that that's going to be fun. That's going to be very cool. And uh, congratulations 
when you think about the you know the Pierce County football team, when you think about Stetson Bennett, Stetson probably the the story uh, of college football this season. When you think about the the movie script that everybody knows from Walk On to National Champion from his childhood uh, favorite team, and I think to be able to celebrate uh, that with a uh, you know some local championships, football championship uh, for the high school, that's going to be a great scene in Blackshear. Absolutely, we've got plenty to come here at hour number two. Uh, take three right around the corner. Jake Roos of On3.com will join us. We'll get to an interesting thought put out there by Paul Feinbaum about the future we could see in college football uh, moving forward. And Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com, joins us in the final hour. We'll look ahead to the NFL draft. as mock drafts galore just flooding the market. And what does Jacksonville do there at number one? BJ is just screaming Hutchinson from the top of the rooftops, aren't you? I want Evan Neal. You know that. <laughs> no, we got we got, I just wanted to get a rise out of here. We got more to come. Take three next here on 3 and Out Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Be back here 3 and Out on this Thursday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett. We'll hear from Jake Roos of the On3.com Network. He'll join us coming up in just a little bit talking Georgia football. Also, Paul Feinbaum yesterday with an interesting, I guess, theory or thought. I, I'm, I'm, BJ, I'm guessing it is rooted in something uh, in terms of uh, throwing it out there, but we'll get to that and what the future of college football might potentially look like. So uh, put out there by uh, Paul Feinbaum. We'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. But first, let's take three here on 3 and Out. And BJ, you were not here yesterday. You did such a good job bringing the conversation to the table. We've brought him back to host take three. My son, Rhett, he's ready to throw it down. What have you brought to the table for us today, young sir? Take one. Rank the following QBs currently in the playoffs outside of superstars, superstars Brady, Mahomes, Rogers, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Jimmy no, G. No, no, start over. Take what? a breath. What? Who do you want us to rate? Just read the ones you want us to rank. Start there with Josh Allen. Okay, jo- Josh Allen. It's Joe, a great question you came Joe up Burrow, with, but you got to make it make sense. Jimmy G, Matt Stafford. And Ryan Tannehill. So we're, we're rating the non-quarterback stars, BJ. So we take Brady, Mahomes, and Rodgers because everybody will put them at the top. Everybody else in the playoffs, rank them up Ooh. here uh, at the quarterback position. Man, a star in the making. Rhett, and by the way, <laughs> nice shirt, nice hat. You got the Space Jam and the Braves championship hat. Uh, all right, Rhett, let me see. You got the guys at the top that that, that are clearly in that, in that top tier. After that... Uh, if I want to work backwards, to, I would probably put Jimmy G fifth for me. Uh, I know has been to a Super Bowl, but I wasn't great in the win over Dallas for for the 49ers. I will probably go Tannehill four. Tannehill's done a nice job. I mean, I'm not trying to refute that, but at the end of the day, when you're talking about winning a championship. Ryan Tannehill is the Stetson Bennett of the playoffs. Ryan Tannehill, if he wins a Super Bowl, well, I'm just saying, I'm, 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 I'm not, I didn't mean that in a disrespectful way. I'm saying people look at that defense, they look at the run game, and they're like, all right, Ryan Tannehill, just go out there and play a solid game. Okay, we'll have a great chance this. to win. I think the difference is if Ryan Tannehill, if Ryan Tannehill were to were to come out and win a Super Bowl and win the MVP, would he, I mean, would that not be a different situation? <laughs> okay, so I'll go Jimmy G five. Uh, I'll go Tannehill four. Uh, I. I will prop. I'll go Joe Burrow three. I know he's on a tear right now, but you still have the inexperience. Although he's, as Christian said, he's 
getting it done uh, in the spotlight games. I will go Stafford, too. I know just got his first. And now, hey, congratulations, you have Tom Brady. Yep. And then I will go Josh Allen, man. I mean, I was wrong on Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming. A lot of people were. I kind of didn't get the hype, uh, but this guy has done it. The numbers are remarkable. Now, every now and then, he's prone to one of those Jacksonville games where it's like, what in the world just happened? But I think overall, the body of work. So let's see if I can do it in the other direction. We'll go Allen. <laughs> I'll go Stafford. <laughs> off the top of your head. You give me five, Red. I'll yeah, go Allen. Uh, Stafford, Burrow, Tannehill, yes. Jimmy G. Yeah, mine, I, I, I'm pretty close to yours. I got Jimmy G last uh, there. I would put uh, Tannehill uh, right above him, I, although I think he's better than people would give him credit for. And I kind of meant, like, he's a solid quarterback, but with the defense and the run game uh, that people look at with uh, with Derrick Henry, the last thing people think about is going to be Ryan Tannehill. Like, hey, just don't go out there and throw four picks, and we're going to have a chance to win. Then I would put Matt Stafford third. Joe Burrow ahead of him, two, and uh, Josh Allen one. Again, I'm like you. Everybody was wrong on Josh Allen. I put Joe Burrow. And you. I can hear you about Matt Stafford. They both have the same number of playoff wins. Well said. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it. One, one is they both have won the same amount of playoff games. I think it's close, but I will go with Joe Burrow there as my number two and put Stafford right behind him at number three. That's take one. What, you got, what else you got for us there, dude? Take two. If Derrick Henry can go, hasn't played since Halloween. Right. Are the Titans one of the Super Bowl favorites? What a great question, yeah, Red. Question. I'm glad you came up with that. And Cam's saying yes. And Cam, look, this is my this is my thing. I I lean no because I think in the National Football League and and recent success uh, or recent history validates this. You basically have to be Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Russell Wilson. I mean, you have to, and Aaron Rodgers. And I'm looking at the teams that are left, Pat Mahomes. I'm looking at the teams that are left in the playoffs, and Tom Brady's there. I mean, Kevin, you have said on the show, I'm never again picking against Tom Brady. Okay, Aaron Rodgers is there. Kim, I believe you said you think he's the best quarterback in the league. Pat Mahomes is there, who is doing things at his age we've never really seen in terms of production and a championship. And then you have Josh Allen, who has an MVP, right? So I'm 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 looking around going, I love Derrick Henry, one of my favorite players of this generation. And just to sit back, watch him run. Hopefully he can go have, have one of those 25, 30 carry a game type performances. But at the end of the day, if you need a two-minute drive, and Ryan Tannehill has been good, you're right. But at the end of the day, if we're ranking quarterbacks and I say, okay, Brady, Rodgers, Mahomes, Allen, and you start to get to maybe even Burrow and some of the other – I don't think Ryan Tannehill is at the top of that list. And the other guys are Hall of Famers. And because of that, I think at the end of the day, in a league that is dominated and defined by quarterback play, even with Derrick Henry, I don't think I can put Tennessee over Mahomes and KC, over Brady and Tampa. Maybe Green Bay, they've had some relative inconsistencies, but but Rodgers and Green Bay. So I will say, as much as I love Derrick Henry, I will say no. I, I think it does because it brings them a a piece that nobody else can bring to the table, and that is, heaven forbid, the Tennessee Titans have a lead. You now have to go out and tackle a linebacker if you're going to win the game. And he can run you over. He keeps getting stronger. He's a freak. You don't see guys that big anywhere else in the National Football League, and he can will you to a victory. Now, if you're behind, he becomes less essential, BJ, as you said, because that's just you got to go away from that. But if you're ahead, 
and you got a team on their heels and you're just beating on them with Derrick Henry, man, that is a weapon that nobody else has. Nobody else can bring in a linebacker and be like, we're going to give it to him 30, 30 times a game and you you go tackle him. Uh, I, I think that's such a huge advantage. It doesn't mean they're going to win. There's so much that goes into winning a Super Bowl. But you give me that at my disposal, I do, I do think that makes you a, a Super Bowl contender if he's healthy and able to go. Racer, what you got for us? Take three. One more. Uh, what potential Super Bowl matchup would be the most compelling? There uh, you go. I thought you were going to stumble up on that word. A great question. I got it. Yeah. Uh, man, that's a tough one, Rhett. Um, I think it would be easy to say Bucks, Chiefs, right? But but we've seen that. And that's kind of where I am with, with the Bucks in general. Like, Tom Brady... The GOAT, incredible legacy, beyond compare. But I think Tom Brady in another Super Bowl, I wonder if there's kind of like, yeah. I mean, Kevin, like some people have said, okay, Alabama, great. In another college football playoff, awesome. Uh, I I think Green Bay-Buffalo, when you think about the history of those two franchises, uh, when you think about the the quarterbacks, you would have the star, star power at the quarterback position. I think if you were to get another Super Bowl, you want to talk about legacies for Aaron Rodgers to go along with all the stats and all the records. If he gets another Super Bowl, where does that put him in kind of the all-time conversation? Nobody's catching Brady, of course, but would Aaron Rodgers be what? I mean, Cam, you're Aaron Rodgers. If he gets another Super Bowl, is he in the conversation for top three or four at that point? Yeah, number two. So you're saying number two? I mean, I know, I know he's a guy that, will probably need that extra Super Bowl, whether that's fair or not, to get into that conversation. And then Buffalo is just one of those stories that, you know, when when I was a kid, Kevin, when you were, I mean, you were already, heck, probably, you were you, you were a grown adult when they were I doing this. I was in that middle school and high school, yeah. But you have Buffalo being, you know, close, 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 can't get it done. They and lost I think, four straight, I believe, right? Yeah, the four and, straight Super Bowls. And I think a lot of fans around the country, even if you're not a fan of the Bills, kind of resonate with the passion their fans have and the story of, you've been right there, you've been right there, can you get over the hump and win the Super Bowl? So, of course, Brady is Brady. Uh, Kansas City is so fun to watch, but I think maybe just a little bit different and some storylines that are cool uh, in this one as well. I'll go Green Bay and Buffalo. I, I still think, I, and I'm not going to say to you, I'm going to say Buffalo. I agree with that because I think the history of that franchise, we've seen Pat Mahomes, and there's a legacy to be written there. I think the fascination with Josh Allen, you got Bill's Mafia, you got all that that goes into it. Uh, with Buffalo, 0-4, they, they went to four straight and didn't win a single one of them with great players. Thurman Thomas, Jim Kelly, Ofer, not won a Super Bowl. And if you're going to break that streak, it's the year of it. Be the man, gotta beat the man. Josh Allen at Bills against the Bucks. Can you go and beat Tom Brady and the Bucks? Bills, Bucks, very compelling to me. If it were to get there, I agree. Aaron Rodgers and the Bills would be my uh, was going to be my number two, but Brady versus Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. I mean, if that happens, you're talking again. That would be. A lot of a lot of stories about teams trying to break through, and if you're going to do it, yeah, you got to beat the creme de la creme. You got Braves had to beat the Dodgers to get the World Series. The Astros have been very very good. Say what you want about their cheating, they've been in that position multiple times. Georgia had to beat Georgia had to beat Alabama. Rhett, Rhett liked the cheating joke, by the way. 
It was kind of funny. But it, it, well, it, no, it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny at all about It cheating. was in between. What were they doing? Huh? You're going to laugh about what were they doing? <laughs> I didn't know. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> They're banging on trash cans. Anyways, that being said, I, I think for Buffalo having another team to beat the, and it's not even a debate at this point, to beat the, the GOAT quarterback to win a championship for the first time, that would be ama- that would be an amazing story. Well, and I think with the Brady thing, because maybe some people are going, how do you not get... Of course, Brady is a story all his own and and just a, an icon. But I do wonder if casual fans, right? Because we're we're all you wouldn't tune fans. in to see if a franchise like Buffalo could knock yeah, him off. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're all talking and listening. I would assume sports fans. And if it's the Jaguars, we're going to watch the Super Bowl <laughs> and talk about it, right? But yeah. I wonder if for casual fans, if they're like, "Oh, Brady, I've seen this four, five, six, seven But I mean, times Josh already. Allen, we we made fun of it on the show. So everybody else, he's like, "Oh, he's almost." He's just under 6'4". He played at Wyoming. And people were like, this cat played at Wyoming. He's going to be a top pick in the NFL draft. And he was. And people said, eh, you're taking a reach. It's Buffalo, blah, 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 this yeah. and that. And throughout the tenure of his career, he did really good. He's been really good. Now, has he had his moments in the postseason? Sure. Uh, but that's been Buffalo kind of all the year. And, uh, and during that tenure where they look really, really good and then have those moments of, what just happened? And we see franchises do that. I'm not holding. I mean, there's a lot of teams that that kind of do that. Show you that. Show you that flair, and then have a couple games that make you scratch your head. But no, I think to have Buffalo win one and have it be Josh Josh Allen, who oh by the way, there's another dude named Josh Allen that people also know in the National That's Football the real League. Josh Allen. No, I'm sorry. The Jacks the won the Josh Allen Bowl. What are you talking? No, they about? did. They did. But to have that, have him win it, a quarterback from Wyoming get Buffalo a Super Bowl, not Jim Kelly. Not Jim Kelly, but Josh Allen out of Wyoming. I, I mean, I, it'd be a year of remarkable stories uh, continuing. And I know some of it's crossing over from 2021 into 2022, but I mean, the stories that we've seen take place in the last handful of months in the world of sports, BJ, you have to admit, are pretty compelling. Go all the way back to last summer. The Milwaukee Bucks. Do they have Giannis? Yes. Is Giannis maybe the, one of the best players in the league? Maybe the best, you could argue? Yes. But it's the Milwaukee Bucks, and they won the NBA championship. The Braves battled through and beat the Dodgers, beat the Astros convincingly with three guys who weren't on the roster till post-All-Star break. Georgia, 41-year drought, wins a national championship. It's time for the Bills. 30 years for Cincinnati without a super, without a playoff win. They get one. Buffalo has been 0 for the Super Bowl. If they beat Tom Brady, I, I don't know how much better of a story you get. Now, it's not Tom Brady with the Patriots, but this Tom Brady is pretty dang good. He's led the league in touchdown passes at what he's like old as Methuselah at this point. He's older than you like, are. I mean, he is very old. Is he older than you? By just a, by just a little bit, yeah. Buffalo wow. better win. He by ju- Buffalo better win or what? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I did Buffalo win. Do you like Buffalo? Hmm. I have a Buffalo Bills ball. Yeah, okay. Well, there you go. He has spoken into because we have a Buffalo Bills ball at the house. I play with it all happen. the time, <laughs> and it's you happening. don't ever see me. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Rhett. Take three. Amazing job. Good job, man. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for letting me be on the show again. Uh, you're welcome. Glad you said. Well, you th- know the guy who controls who comes on the show. So <laughs> yes, you, this guy. You have an in. Yeah. <laughs> I can easily take it away, though. No.
Oh, oh, he'll uh, mute your mic. He's he's zipped it up yes, on me before. Yes, I will take it away in a heartbeat. Start acting up. But great questions to get today. That's take three. We do it every day at this time. We'll come back. Much more to come here on the show. Jake Roos on 3.com. Talking Georgia football next here on 3 and Out. Here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, glad you're making us a part of your day. Busy, busy time at the University of Georgia after winning the national championship and joining us here, part of the On Three uh, Network. Jake Roos joins us here on Three and Out. Jake, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. Really been a, a a wild week or so around Georgia. You win the national championship, and then you start getting into guys going to the NFL. Guys transferring out, guys coming back. Let's start there, though, with Stetson Bennett coming back. Are you surprised that he was coming back, and are you surprised at the reaction of some dog fans that kind of were like, maybe he shouldn't have? Well, uh, I'm not totally surprised Stetson's coming back. I think it makes a lot of sense for him in a lot of regards. I mean, he just led the team to a national championship. I don't think anybody's really under the impression, under the impression maybe that Stetson's going to the league, uh, you know, when his career is over. So it wasn't a situation maybe uh, where he was going to test those waters, um, you know. And in terms of, you know, the potential of maybe transferring, uh, how are you going to walk away from the potential NIL money that, that George is going to offer you? I mean, he's, he's set to uh, do about as well as anybody in the country, I would think, in terms of NIL opportunities next year. Um, so, you know, for him, I think it makes a lot of sense. He made it clear that he wanted to continue playing football, uh, you know, it's something that he loves and it's something he wants to do more of in his life. And, you know, I also, too, I guess I should say that, you know, I, I said maybe he won't make the NFL. He's proven everybody wrong on a lot of things, so I'm not going to write anything off. But, you know, I, I think that he loves this university. He loves this team and uh, and wants to be a part of it moving forward. But I, I am surprised by some of the reaction that we've seen from fans. Um, you know, I just didn't expect that. I thought that people would be a little bit more encouraging. And, and overall, I think the, the majority have been. But uh, the ones who have been vocally, uh, you know, opposed to it, uh, that's a surprise to me. There just aren't a lot of quarterbacks in the nation who have uh, national championship experience, let alone uh, winning national championship experience. Stetson Bennett's one of those guys. He's a dog through and through. Uh, he loves this university. And, uh, you know, I, personally, I, I think people should uh, show him a little bit more love as well. Jake, JT Daniels uh, in the transfer portal. Is this a guy that – uh, potentially could stay in the SEC. Is this uh, could he be going back out to the West Coast? Do we not know yet? And uh, is he looking to go to a place where he's going to be the you know the odds-on favorite, uh, obviously to start next season? Yeah, I think that that's definitely what he's searching for. I mean, he wants to be that guy. He needs to put some tape together, uh, prove that he can stay healthy for an entire season. I mean, the clock's ticking on JT and his opportunities. I mean. You know, he's uh, had flashes, certainly, where he's played like a five-star quarterback. But at other times, uh, you know, you've, you've been wondering, can this guy stay healthy and can he hold it together for uh, the length of a season? Um, you know, still some questions to answer for him, but I think he wants to go somewhere where he feels he can step in and, and take over the role. 
No clear indication yet on where he's headed. Um, you know, I, I'm not looking for that to be out on the West Coast. I think that he's probably bound to stay in the Southeast, maybe even in the SEC. Um, but I believe his parents have moved on from uh, California. Um, so it's not exactly like a huge lure for him from a family perspective. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, he's going to get to get an opportunity and, and get a chance to go somewhere and, uh, and make an impact. But, uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, just, uh, just when that's going to happen, where it's going to happen. And, and then if he can maximize that opportunity and make the most of it. Jake Roos, uh, Dogs HQ, part of the on three, uh, network joining us and, uh, and Jake Jermaine Burton. Entering the transfer portal, was that a surprise to you, a guy that did see a lot of playing time this year? Yeah, it was a surprise to me, uh, you know, just in the sense that, uh, you know, I, I think that the path's pretty clear for him next year. I, I think that he was a guy who stood to uh, really see an expanded role after coming off of some injury this year. But, uh, you know, I, I think, too, that there's a, there's a bit of a feeling around some of these guys of, you know, taking the opportunity to go somewhere and be the man. And, uh, you know, Georgia, I think, plays a little bit more collective ball. Uh, you know, they, they spread the love out a lot. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, it was a tight end-led team this year when it comes to the passing game. So, you know, if, if he wants to get an opportunity to catch, you know, 60, 70 balls somewhere, uh, that's probably not going to be at Georgia. And, and I understand that uh, from his perspective. And, and uh, you know, you got to do what's best for you and what you feel is best for your career. You know, be interesting to see perhaps if he follows Cortez Hankton over to uh, LSU. I think that uh, maybe that could be a, a very interesting marriage, especially considering the fact that he was at one time committed to LSU. In terms of adding uh, players to the roster, the transfer portal, every time you hit, you know, refresh, there's somebody new in the portal. Do you think Georgia is looking for another addition or two? And if so, what, what positions could they be looking at? Well, I definitely think they are looking pretty heavily at the uh, transfer portal. They're going to be looking for any options that can help them. I mean, if they feel like a guy can benefit the roster, they're going to go after and make a run. Uh, you know, uh, to me, wide receiver is the one that really jumps off the page. I just think that you could use an experienced guy uh, in a, a system like this. I mean, you've seen what Jamison Williams was able to do at Alabama. Georgia would love to go find this year's Jameson Williams. I think everybody would. But, uh, you know, I think that that's one area of focus. And then a uh, pass rusher, uh, maybe one of those hybrid guys, kind of a, a, a play with the hand on the ground, uh, similar to Trayvon Walker. I think, uh, you know, having a little bit of experience at a position like that uh, would be very big and beneficial for them. And then part, potentially even cornerback, uh, you know, with Jalen Kimber moving on, uh, opting to uh, – transfer to Florida, you know, he was a guy that I think could have been in the mix for, Cuba, or, uh, for, for starting reps next year. Uh, you know, uh, having somebody back there with that kind of ability and that kind of uh, experience under their belt, that'd be a huge boost for Georgia. So I, I could see those being three areas to focus for them in the transfer uh, portal. Jake Roos, Dogs HQ, joining us here on a three and out. And, and Jake, obviously coming off the, uh, the national championship and uh, you start to have national championship problems, and I say I say this in a nice way. It's not you know problems like, hey, how do we get all these guys playing time on the field? Uh, where's Georgia stand at that point with guys who have waited their turn? Obviously, you've got a, another top three recruiting class coming in. How does Georgia stand with that with that roster, and and certainly guys who are looking at a significant bump in playing time here in 2022? Tough balance to strike. I mean, uh, there's no question about it. And, you know, that's where this transfer portal stuff comes from. I mean, it gives guys an opportunity if they, 
you know, feel slighted or they feel uh, that they're not going to get their chance, uh, gives them a chance to go somewhere else and find that. And I think that, you know, Georgia will probably see further attrition after the spring, uh, after spring training. I think that, uh, you know, that's normally how things go. Um, in this era, we, we've seen Georgia too add after uh, spring practice as well. So, you know, I, I think that uh, it, it's, it's a tough, tough thing to do. And, and really the only thing they can do, uh, the only fair way to handle it is the motto that they kind of follow and, and ascribe to follow. And that's, uh, you know, the best player plays. If that's the case, then, you know, these guys have to understand, you know, the best man for the job is going to get the spot. And I think that uh, they have to, you know, respect that to some degree and recognize that that's Georgia's M.O. That's how they're going to run their operation. And, uh, you know, that'll be for some guys and, and some guys it won't be for. And, and uh, you know, I think that we'll see those guys move on and test the waters elsewhere. But in the meantime, uh, you know, Georgia with a lot of great options and, uh, you know, kind of following that Alabama mold of uh, never uh, never rebuild, just reload. Certainly. And, and, Jay, before we let you go, I'm kind of interested to get your thoughts on this as we've talked to a number of folks about it. We've been talking transfer portal and how even teams like Georgia and Alabama, who everyone thinks is just loaded with talent, are still going to go out there and uh, and hit the uh, the transfer portal is uh, how do coaches that you've been able to talk to kind of view how this thing is going? We've heard people say uh, you can't put the toothpaste back into tube, but you're having teams obviously lose a senior class. Uh, I think an NC State lost nine or ten guys through the transfer portal. How do coaches kind of view having to adjust the way they manage their rosters, knowing that depending on the size of the senior class and transfers, you could lose close to uh, a third to 40, 50 percent of your roster. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I think that that's really just the best way to describe it. And, and the impression that I've gotten in speaking to people, it, it's just one more thing. You know, Kirby Smart gave a great interview the other day and basically said, you know, a lot of people are leaving this game because, uh, you know, people are it, – it's becoming all-consuming. And it really is. And I think that – I think to some degree the NCAA has to step in and do something about it. I think a transfer portal window makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, an opportunity to uh, – uh, you know, open that window and then shut the window again. And, uh, you know, it, I think that would cut down on a lot of it. You know, for coaches, it's tough to balance recruiting ahead as well as recruiting your current roster. I mean, you're recruiting on all fronts at all times. Uh, it's just not a lot of room to breathe. And, um, yes, it's high pressure and, yes, it's high paying and, you know, I, I'm not saying anybody should feel bad for these guys necessarily, but at the same time, uh, you know, I can understand what why it would drive certain people away, and I think it's probably a lot more maddening than people are uh, are willing to admit. So, I do hope that we'll see some regulation coming uh, in the sense of it, or in the in the future with it. I'm not saying shut it down by any measure. I think that kids deserve all these opportunities uh, to do whatever's best for them, but at the same time. Uh, you know, there's got to be, I, I think, some sort of windows on these things uh, in order to create some sort of, uh, uh, you know, sanity for people uh, <laughs> that, that they can kind of balance this out. And unfortunately, uh, the NCAA has done a very poor job with that. It doesn't even seem interested, really, in my opinion, in handling these things. They want to pass the buck to somebody else. So it's going to take somebody stepping up and, uh, and handling this themselves. Yeah, uh, crazy to think. Uh, Jake Roos, Dogs HQ, part of the On3 Network. Uh, joining us here on 3 and Out, Jake, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate Jake joining us here. A lot going on, obviously, there in Athens. We'll come back. Could college football potentially uh, have more going on? Uh, and uh, Paul Feinbaum kind of floated an idea out there about the future of college football. BJ and I will break that down when we return. Here to 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. 
ever-changing landscape of college football, B.J. Bennett, as we know, Texas and Oklahoma are going to be in the SEC here at uh, at some point, sooner rather than later. But Paul Feinbaum on uh, WJOX said, hey, may not be done there, and floated an interesting idea. I wanted to get uh, your thoughts on this. And it's just the ever, I mean, people have proposed mega conferences and all that. I've heard, hey, at some point, the big, maybe the big 60, as they call it, which are basically now your P5 schools, would break off and just say, we don't need the NCAA, the money's too big, we don't need you anymore. And I think we're getting close to that with name, image, likeness. We just talked to Jake Roos with the transfer portal. The NCAA is kind of like, we're not bothering with it. And so, uh, what do you need these guys for? Paul Feinbaum threw this out there uh, on Wednesday, WJOX in uh, in Birmingham. When Texas and Oklahoma, this was him quoting, he said, when Texas and Oklahoma joined the SEC back in the summer, I thought that was it. As far as we are, he's like, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think the SEC is in such a strong position. I think the world of college football is so upside down based on the attitude uh, like Jim Phillips, Kevin Warren from the Big Ten, Jim Phillips, the ACC, by the way. I continue with his quote, and George Klivakov from the Pac-12 that I think others are going to look for an exit strategy. Instead of wasting time, instead of the college football playoff, you have some major universities going, you know what? What good is this doing us actually staying in our league that refuses and will not accept change? Let's call the SEC, see what the dollar amount is, and get out of where we are. Continues. If you're sitting there in a Notre Dame position, why do you join the ACC with that approach? And if you're Clemson or some of these other schools, Florida State, you have to be asking yourself, why don't we join a Super League and really say, who cares what the rest of college football does? We're joining the only conference that matters. End quote. And now, obviously, Paul Feinbaum is... I mean, he's on SEC Network. He is going to be a shill for the SEC, but that doesn't mean what he said. Some of it isn't true. The money, adding more schools, would only be greater. You do have a, quote, alliance, which seemingly was formed to go directly against the SEC or come with some, come with some kind of counterbalance to the SEC. And, uh, and BJ, I said, well, if you're Clemson, why would you leave? You have a, between you and Florida State, fairly easy walk, potentially, if you're a good to get in the college football playoff, it looks like the playoff, even though they say it's not, we know it's going to expand at some point. Does that seem like a logical conclusion that you could see four or five teams from the ACC, a couple more from the Big Ten, Pac-12 all come together and say, we're going to form a mega conference of, I mean, at this point, what, 24 teams or something, and just say, we're doing it ourselves, fellas. Like, our, our conference championship is the national championship, the end. That sounds ridiculous to say. And a lot of people are probably rolling their eyes going, come on. You're probably the same people that were rolling your eyes thinking there would be a conference with 14 teams in it. You're probably the same person that said Oklahoma and Texas, they would never leave to go to the SEC. Why would they do that? Well, they're doing it. I mean, this has not been proposed by anybody, but it's also not that far-fetched of an idea. No, I think anything's possible. And the Oklahoma-Texas stuff really, when I when 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 I saw that and that news hit, I went, "Wow!" You know, any anything is possible. I mean, we heard rumors of this team's going to that conference. You know, this conference is expanding, but Texas and Oklahoma, uh, you know, and of course you had Missouri and Texas A and M, and the SEC's always expanded, going back to South Carolina and Arkansas in the early '90s. But you, Texas and Oklahoma, are two of the what seven or eight, nine or ten at worst biggest brands in college football, college sports and into an SEC that already has Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia, you know, Tennessee, Texas. I just it's 
it's incredible. And you ask the question, okay, well, why would a Clemson or an FSU, and Clemson's probably a better example right now, why would Clemson stay in the ACC? And you go, oh, well, they have a direct pathway, theoretically, to the, to, to the college football playoff. Well, I think there are a couple of things to think about there. Does that remain as viable and as appealing if, let's say, we expand the playoff to 12 teams and basically the, the, the committee or the infrastructure now says, okay, ACC, you get one team. SEC, you're getting six bids. A lot bids. of college basketball, yeah, basically. SEC, yeah. you're getting five or six bids. And that you still might say, oh, well, when the ACC, you get in. Yeah, but that could also mean lose one game, you're out. Whereas if you're in the SEC, and I don't know this, but maybe nine and three is you, enough. Well, you do know this. Well, We've seen it play itself right. out. I mean, you but, do but, know this. But, but maybe in a 12-team playoff environment, nine and three or eight and four? I mean, what if you go eight and four and you have three wins over top 20 teams and two of your losses are to top five teams? That resume might get you in. And I think beyond just that, it's also the financial and kind of resource infrastructure where the SEC, from a media standpoint, is as big as it gets. The SEC, from a dollars and cents standpoint, is as big as it gets. And if that becomes more and more pronounced, um, I, 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 I don't, I don't think it's un, unfathomable to say that schools could look around and go, uh, is there a better opportunity? And and what that would mean from a standpoint of, of, of affecting other conferences, I, I don't know, affecting the landscape. But to go back to what you said, if you just said 10 years ago, Texas and Oklahoma, are in, Texas A&M and Missouri are in the SEC, uh, we're going to have a potential 12-team playoff on the horizon. You'd have said, oh, we're going to have name, image, likeness. We're going to have guys can transfer. You'd have said, oh, that's not happening. And especially now with the NCAA becoming as, I mean, is this a fair word, Kevin? Irrelevant? As but ever? they really have. Yeah, I mean, with the NCAA becoming as irrelevant and kind of powerless as ever, I I, I don't think anything is off the table. I, I think this is, and again, you can say this is being driven by a number of things. One of it, as the young kids say, I think is the the FOMO, the fear of missing out. It's like, hey, yeah, I, I don't know. Want, I didn't know what that. Yeah, meant. well, you know, I'm. Hey, that's how I am. I, I roll with the young kids today. Yeah, you got Rhett. Rhett, yes, yeah, you. Rhett's telling you the fear of missing out, i.e. All right, if Clemson and Florida State goes, is it survival of the fittest? Like, are you looking around if you're uh, a Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, uh, some of the Miami, Miami and you, and you yeah. say, wait a minute, as much as we can work with the others, but say try to keep this lead together, am I just better off saying, no, let me yeah, grab my own bag? Who's the first to blink? Who's yeah, the first am, to say? Just go grab my own bag and worry about that, and let's get over there and play with that. I think that's certainly a possible. And as you said, BJ, I, I used to hear people say, again, I'm talking – when I first got a gig in radio, way back when, early in 2000, I remember hearing people say at some point the major college powers that be will break away and do their own thing in college football. And you're thinking, that's ridiculous. The money's too good to stay where they are. Is it? If they break off right now and do their own thing, could they not make more? And as you said, what are the two biggest issues in college football? Let's, let's grab that. What are the three Biggest issues in college football, which is by far the biggest money generator. I know the NCAA tournament is there, but, I mean, if you break off in P5, a college basketball tournament, I guarantee you it'll make just as much money. But what are the three big issues right now in college football? Playoff expansion run by a committee has nothing to do with the NCAA, right? It's the college football playoff championship. Not the NCAA. Yes, you said champion. this. The Division that, One champion right. is so, the FCS. So champion. the three biggest issues: one, college football playoff expansion. NCAA has nothing to do with it. Two, transfer portal. What's the NCAA's policy on that? 
If you want to leave, leave. That's basically it. And three, NIL. What's the NCAA's policy on that? Well, yeah, even in the beginning, they deferred saying, like, to, what the, they said? to the government. They've done nothing. So they've yeah. d- they, they do nothing. So literally, if I, again, if I'm in the SEC or I'm in the ACSA and, and you start hearing this stuff, you go, oh, that's crazy. Why would you leave the ACC and form a mega conference? Uh, what is the governing body doing? Like, what do they do that you couldn't do? They already don't run the championship. They have given you no guidance on NIL. They basically said, yeah, you could transfer, but we don't really care how it plays out. And really, if you get into now with NIL, basically dangling money carrots in front of people in order to get them to transfer, that's fine. It's like, to me, they, what do they do? What, I, I, honest, I'm asking an honest question. And if you expand that to the rest of college athletics, what do they do? They put on a basketball tournament, a baseball tournament, swimming and diving, track and field championships. Outside of that, what do they do? They put on six other events that those guys could do themselves. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, don't. Uh, they like, don't host the bowl games. They don't host the playoffs. Yeah, right. What, like, right. what do they? Like, what are they there for? And that's when you say, because names don't mean anything, right? Southeastern Conference. Could we see a point? You start getting. You say, well, wouldn't Ohio State, Michigan, want to jump in there for the money? Yep. Well, it's not called the Southeastern Conference anymore. It's just called the SEC. We're gonna. We're just gonna be the abbreviation, and the SEC is just going to be but think the about conference this, of college football. It's currently constituted before you even get to hypothetically Clemson or FSU or Michigan or Ohio State. I mean, in two or three years, and I know that wins losses accumulate, and that is reflected in the polls. But it, is is it is it unreasonable to think that you could have? Eight of the top ten to twelve teams in the country. Well, no, when you talk about Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Texas, Texas A and M, Oklahoma, LSU, and, and again, and again, I, and I, at I, what point is that gravitational pull kind of as big it, as the sport itself? It, it really is, and I think it's the money would be great because again, if I'm CBS or ABC, ESPN, and they drive a lot of this as well, if I can just make a deal with one league and not have to make a deal with six leagues and oh by the way the league I'm making a deal with has the top 60 schools in America in terms of interest fan base money all that well well that's that's an easy deal I, I work with you one 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 thing and again I think it's a very fine line for a lot of people is it when and I've asked this to a number of people because there are people that think it can never be too much when do you kill something that has been so good is there ever money that kills the golden goose? Because I think college football is a golden goose. Could you ever kill that in terms of driving out regional? We've already kind of done away with that. Pitt and, Pitt and Penn State, they don't play anymore. Uh, you know, Notre Dame and is it Notre Dame and Michigan? One of them, they don't play anymore. Uh, you know, regional rivalries, some of those can go away. SEC talked about that in expansion. Well, we may have to do away with some of them because we've got too many teams. Is there a point, BJ, where you, as a college football fan, would be like, yeah, this has kind of gotten so big that the sport I fell in love with, it's just, it's not there anymore. It's something completely different. I mean, I think, I think theoretically everybody would say yes, but it's like you say with the bowl games. There are too many bowl games. These bowl games, we, we, we shouldn't have six and six and five. And, and what do we do? And I don't mean we as in necessarily us in the studio, but what do we as a college football community do? We watch them. We talk about them. So you would, you would think theoretically maybe, 
But every single thing that everybody says, this is too much, this is for college football, continues to get consumed. Yeah, and again, I, I thought an interesting thought by Paul Feynman was like, if you're Clemson and Florida State, Miami, others, are you in the back of your mind going, well, if Oklahoma and Texas are there, do we start getting in the ear of the SEC and say, well, why not just take this thing to 24, 32 teams, do our own season, do our own league, do our own championship, and just whoever wins this thing is the national champion. I don't think that's a funny BJ, it sounds crazy. I don't think that's a far-fetched yeah, idea. Yeah. Ten years ago, say, you said that and been like, what? I, I, yeah, I don't think that's a far-fetched idea of possibly happening. Now, I'm not saying tomorrow, but don't think people aren't bean-counting, saying if we do this, we basketball, baseball, I mean, this would be a 32-team mega-conference where you're just printing money, probably, uh, at the end of the day. We got more to come here. Three and out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett. Ben will be back with us uh, tomorrow when he joins us tomorrow. We'll have a... Another chance for you to win a copy of Uncommon and Unfinished, the uh, Ben Troop story uh, coming up on the show. We've been giving one away uh, every week, and we will do that again tomorrow. If you just can't wait for your chance to win, bentroop84.com. You can go and uh, get a book online, buy a book there online. I know, BJ, you and Ben have been at a lot of different bookstores putting the books out and uh, and all that. So there are opportunities for you to get it, but uh, we'll have one for you tomorrow right here on the show. Yeah, I know we've done it midweek uh, for the most part over the last couple of months, but going to do it tomorrow on the show with Ben back. But, yes, bentroop84.com, and I uh, got a lot of good feedback from people, which has meant a lot. But, yeah. yeah, we'll do that tomorrow. Absolutely. So your chance to win one tomorrow here on the show. We still got a lot to get to uh, here on 3 and Out. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com, will join us. We'll look at... Uh, what do the Jags do there at number one? Do they kind of set the way it goes here in the draft? He'll join us when we return here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter. Love to hear from you at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live ESPNCoastal.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Welcome back. Final hour of 3 and Out. Glad you're making us a part of your day here on the show. Plenty to get to uh, here on the program as we look ahead to the NFL draft. A lot of mock drafts starting to, uh, to flow uh, out there as well. And joining us from DraftCountdown.com, Shane Hallam joins us here on 3 and Out. Shane, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Hey, man, we're doing fantastic. And uh, obviously, uh, we've had the list of draft eligibles. Guys have announced in, in college who's won to enter early and, and things of that nature. As it sits now, what kind of overall draft class are we looking at? Is this a deep talent draft class? Is it one that maybe leaves a lot to be desired. What are we kind of looking here initially as we, we talk in late January? I think we're looking at a really deep draft. Uh, this is going to be a draft that has talent well into day three. You know, last year with the emergency um, ability for players to go back to school, we had a ton of guys, the seniors, go back to college. So those players are coming out for the draft now. So this draft class is much bigger, one of the biggest in NFL history, and that really makes the depth of this class pretty good, especially positions like wide receiver and corner and edge rusher, tight end. You know, some of these positions that sometimes can be a little bit weak in most years, I think you're getting that. So even though we may not have the high-end quarterbacks like we had last year, or you may not have, you know, the elite receiver like Jamar Chase was last year, um, I think this group, and when you get to the late second day, early third day, third, fourth, fifth round, there's going to be a lot more talent on the board this time. Shane, when you look at projected first-round picks, uh, who are the who are the interesting players? Who are kind of the the X factors that could help shape the first round uh, once the draft gets here? Well, I think the quarterback class is really what's going to shape how this first round goes. 
how high teams are willing to take them uh, because we have five or six guys uh, at the quarterback position that have a shot at going in the first round, but we don't have anyone that's that number one, number two overall type awesome talent. So um, Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh, I think is probably the top quarterback right now at a fantastic year, one in the ACC. Um, but you know, I, I don't think he's a top 10 pick kind of player. So then you're looking, if that doesn't happen, then you're looking 10 to 20, and maybe that's when these quarterbacks start going off the board, like Sam Howell at North Carolina, Malik Willis at Liberty, and Matt Corral at Mississippi. I think those are kind of the four that can go. Uh, it's going to depend how high teams want to take them. So, you know, once that domino, the quarterback domino falls, one team takes one, now teams have to kind of get in there. So I, I think that's a position, obviously, that always is a big talking point, and that's going to dictate it. And then I think offensive tackle is probably the other one. Um, it's a good offensive tackle class. Maybe we have two kind of elite offensive tackles, Evan Neal from Alabama, Ike McWanu from NC State. They're going to go very high. And then Charles Cross from Mississippi State is pretty close to there. So I think that's going to be a big headline of the top ten is these offensive tackles going off the board. And Shane, certainly here you've got uh, Jacksonville with the number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, is uh, your franchise quarterback or so you believe uh, after just one season here and a lot of mock drafts having Aiden Hutchinson. If you're in Jacksonville, why wouldn't you be looking tackle uh, to protect your quarterback a la what Cincinnati did with Joe Burrow? I, I think that you kind of have two questions of, you know, um, the edge rushers are elite. Aiden Hutchinson, you mentioned out of Michigan. Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon, I have rated as my highest player in this draft based on his explosiveness. So those are probably the best players. Like you said, you want to set up Trevor Lawrence for success, and that's why offensive tackle taking Evan Neal or Ike McWanu um, is a possibility. But they, they don't grade as highly, especially as pass blockers, as you'd want for a number one overall pick. You want that elite pass blocking tackle. So that's the question, basically. Do you take the best player, which is going to be one of the two edge rushers, or do you take a left tackle you know, and hopefully get a guy – that is really good but may not be an elite all-pro type, um, but it's going to help your offense. So I think that's the decision Jacksonville's going to have to make when they make that first overall pick. The Jags have a lot of needs. Uh, could there be the possibility of a trade back where maybe you could uh, go, go back to three or four or five, still grab an offensive tackle, uh, or because there isn't that superstar quarterback, is it going to be hard to do that? I think it's going to be extremely difficult, especially for Jacksonville one, uh, especially with, with how the money is slotted for rookies now based on position. If you're going to move up, um, you almost need to be willing, not only do you have to pay the draft capital, but you have to pay the financial cost. And I think the teams that, you know, five, six, seven, the, the Giants, the Panthers, um, have a lot of holes, aren't going to, you know, Panthers or teams doesn't have picks perhaps that move up there. Um, I just think it's going to be really hard to do unless you take way under value for that number one overall pick. So if I had a, if I was a betting man, I would have to bet that they're going to make that pick and no one's going to be super interested in moving up for the price it would cost. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com, joining us here on 3 and Out. And Shane, the Atlanta Falcons uh, here in our state, very interesting uh, couple of dynamics there as they uh, pick in the, in the top ten. Obviously, what are their, their, their kind of thoughts on Matt Ryan uh, as, as quarterback, do they potentially look quarterback? And certainly Calvin Ridley and all reports are they have no clue as to when, if, if at all, he's going to come back and join the team. How does that, those two things kind of affect 
what you think about the Falcons and, and what they do in this draft. I think it leaves the door wide open for them. They could be the first team to take a quarterback uh, in that first round. I have a mock draft, a seven-round mock draft coming out on Monday. I have them waiting to round two and taking Desmond Ritter, the quarterback, out of Cincinnati. I just think eight might be a little bit rich for that, but it's, that door's open. I think Calvin Ridley, you know, by the time the draft rolls around, maybe they have more information. Um, you could take a, a Traylon Burks, the receiver out of Arkansas, who has some of those Julio Jones-type qualities but never had the production on the field that Julio Jones had despite the size and the athleticism like that. Um, or, you know, they, they could look to the defense and really spend day two building that offense up. I think some of their big needs actually match up well with the value at number eight, edge rusher David Ajabo from Michigan or George Kalafidis from Purdue or maybe even linebacker Christian Harris from Alabama had a fantastic national championship game at linebacker. So I think the Falcons wide open. They have a lot of spots. They can almost take best player available. I think day two could be where we see the offense get remolded a little bit. Yeah, to that end, I know, especially when you have franchises like Jacksonville and Atlanta picking in the top 10, all the focus is on the first round. But is there is there enough depth to go back to your first answer in this draft where teams like Jacksonville or Atlanta could get multiple starters in this class if they make good picks in the second, third round and beyond? I think this is a really important draft because of that, because those players are there I think in the second round, you know, we're going to have quarterbacks. I mentioned Ritter, also Carson Strong, the quarterback out of Nevada. It's more of a pocket passer. Uh, our, our startable quarterback talents with a little bit of development. So, you know, Atlanta's going to have that shot. I mean, Jacksonville 33, when I try to put a, a first-round lock together, I can't fit enough players in. Uh, there, there is maybe 10 guys that fall out of that first round. So you're picking the first pick in round two. You're going to have your pick of first-round talents. Um, you should get a really good starter out of that spot, um, you know, a, a receiver or an offensive tackle. I think those guys are going to be there. So I think day two, I know round one gets the buzz, but my favorite day to draft is day two on Friday because round two and three are just loaded with talent, and a lot of times these are the guys that become the real stars in the NFL. I think that's going to be as important as anything. Uh, for the Falcons and Jaguars. Uh, Shane, obviously we got a long ways to go until we get to the draft. you got to have Senior Bowl, the Combine, uh, those kind of kind of things, the the pro days uh, still yet to happen. But who's the guy? I know everybody's got one. Who's the guy that you think right now is very undervalued, not being talked about this early in the draft process, that's really going to uh, shock and impress some folks and, and really have his stock climb up the most over the next couple of months here? Well, yeah, I think, I think there's a couple guys. One of my favorites is Trevor Penning, the offensive tackle from Northern Iowa. He's going to the Senior Bowl. I think he's going to have a fantastic Senior Bowl week. A lot of times these small school prospects that aren't at that FBS level, that's where they get to showcase that they belong with the big boys. And he, he's on the team with some good pass rushers. Um, I, he's, he's a kind of hulking 6'7", 320-pounder that uh, was you know, at maybe the best player to me, an FCS that I watched this year at left tackle, which is saying something. So I, I think he's going to become a household name, maybe even a top-ten pick uh, when all said and done. Uh, and, and then, you know, I'll, I'll drop actually another offensive tackle that I really like, too, uh, also be at the senior bowl, Bernhard Raymond from Central Michigan. I think he's another guy that, that is just with a converted tight end. So he has he's raw with his hand placement. But, man, I mean, his feet and his power are, are unreal. So I, I think this offensive tackle class, uh, you have a couple smaller school guys that are going to be the, the talks of the NFL in a couple weeks. 
Shane, finally, wanted to ask you a philosophical question about the draft, uh, kind of production versus the athletic measurables where you see guys that are, you know, the right size or, or, or weight or, you know, have incredible workouts at the combine or the pro days. And then you see guys who maybe don't, but have the great college production. How do you compare and contrast what you see with the, I, I guess, non-game uh, 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 storylines outside of the performances on the field storylines versus what you see with the stats and the production? How do you compare and contrast those qualities? I think it's always important to go back to the film, right? When you get those workout numbers and it's not what you expect, one thing I like to do is kind of try to predict the 40 times and and the shuttles and uh, what size they're going to come in at. And then when things really don't match up with my prediction, let me go back to the film and let me watch, was I wrong? Or, you know, do they show this kind of speed on the field? And and if they don't, I I think you got to take, you know, the film uh, kind of at heart for that. If, if you don't play up to it, it doesn't matter how fast you run at the combine. Um, you know, but on the other side, I think of players, um, you, know, you can go back and maybe say, okay, they have a potential to be this athletic or this fast that I didn't expect. So I think you have to balance those two things. There's a threshold of athleticism that's needed at the NFL, and then guys get below that that they're probably not going to make it. And at the same time, I think there's a level of comp- competitiveness and production at the college level that has to happen for a guy to produce in the NFL. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com, our guest here on 3 and Out. Shane, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was was a blast. Appreciate it. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com. Check them out. Do a great job covering the draft. DraftCountdown.com. And, BJ, as you said, really deep uh, draft here. you got those super seniors and and guys who came back uh, to college who have that extra year of eligibility uh, and chose to go back to college. Now coming out in the draft. Yeah, it, it, it's a really deep class. And maybe it doesn't feel like there's as much buzz, right, because there's not that Trevor Lawrence or you know that, that big-time superstar quarterback at the top. But, man, I love the players at the line of scrimmage. The edge rushers, Shane was talking about the defensive linemen, uh, the offensive linemen. Uh, talking with Christian this morning, I mean, could you see, talk about day one, day two, how many Georgia players are going to yeah. go? I mean, I think three, four in the first round, probably guaranteed. Maybe N'Kobe Dean in the top ten. Uh, so a lot of storylines looking forward to the draft. And, and I know you're big on the Jags not drafting uh, Aiden Hutchins. I mean, and again, that's one of those. And, and again, I, I I agree with you. I'm a tape guy versus the measurables. Where you look at it and say, this is a guy that had a late surge and on the biggest stage of the season had one good game against Ohio State. And then the next big game got absolutely dominated. And you're going up against two tackles, the likes of which, obviously, you could say both the guys at Georgia could play in the NFL, but obviously the guys in the NFL already are going to be better than those guys still at college. Are you more likely to see the guy that got dominated on the big stage or the guy that had a uh, very good performance against the likes of a team like Ohio State? Well, yeah, In a span of a couple of weeks, you had both sides of the coin there for Aiden Hutchinson where he looked good and then got absolutely dominated. Yeah, and then I think with with he and Thibodeau, and we'll, and we'll get into this in a second, but Jacksonville has a star edge rusher, right? You have Josh Allen, and Hutchinson may be a great player. Thibodeau may be a great player. And maybe in today's NFL, you need two. Maybe you need a couple of edge rushers. But I look at Jacksonville, and I'll ask you, who is Jacksonville's franchise? Right now it's Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion. Right. I mean, your quarterback's always going to be the franchise And guy. this is a guy that you pointed to and said he's going to be our guy for 10, 12, 15 years. Right. you got to protect him. And I think Evan Neal, what we've seen is him absolutely dominate at the highest level since day one. I think Jacksonville's got a good O-line, not a great O-line. We'll get into that, but I think Evan Neal should be the pick for the Jags. If you uh, 
if you don't protect your quarterback, you wind up with David Carr. And David Carr could have been a great quarterback, but again, in his time at Houston, got hit more than anybody in the history of the league his first three years at Houston, well, and he was, I mean, he was done. a lot yeah. of quarterbacks. Matt Ryan's had some struggles yeah. because you got to protect your quarterback. Absolutely, 100%. We'll come back. We'll take a look at that draft after our conversation there with Shane Hallam, and we'll do that. What's going to happen there at number one? We'll do it next here on 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin. Come back, 3 and Out, here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, just talked with Shane Hallam, draftcountdown.com. Jacksonville with the number one overall pick. Uh, B.J., as we kind of joked about there, talked about Michigan DN Aiden Hutchinson uh, has kind of been – the most common mock, uh, at least at this point. Kayvon Thibodeau has been in there. Evan Neal has been in there in a couple. Uh, Charles Cross, offensive tackle for Mississippi State, has been in there at uh, at number one uh, as well. And, uh, again, defensive end I think is an interesting spot. But, B.J., to me, uh, if you're if you're Jacksonville and this is where you don't know, and I, I kind of joked and said, well, if Mel Kuyper and others have – uh, Aiden Hutchinson, number one, he's not going to go number one because it's mock draft 1.0. And very rarely, rarely is mock. I mean, I don't mean it to say like, hey, he's wrong. I'm not trying to be that guy, but very rarely does mock draft 1.0 look the same as mock draft 7.0, or however many he ends up doing right before the draft. Uh, and I mean, outside of maybe last year when you had Trevor Lawrence, who was going to be the number one guy, how many times does the number one pick seemingly change and fluctuate? I don't know if Jacksonville's going to be in the market to do that. I agree with you. I think in an ideal world, you want to trade back. But as you look at this draft, which is so deep with talent, as we just talked about from super seniors and uh, super juniors and guys like that who were, I mean, the, think about it. Some guys who were juniors this year, BJ, that was their fourth year of college football. Uh, playing, not redshirting, playing college football because of like the, the super junior rule, super senior rule. It's so deep. How valuable is that number one pick at this point if you're Jacksonville? Because people always say, well, just trade back and get a tackle. I think if you're talking about one to three, one to four, if you like Evan Neal, just go take him. And I know people say, well, you're going to overpay. No, no, there's no overpaying if he's the guy you feel could come in and keep your quarterback standing upright. Make the pick. Don't get ridiculous sliding back and then, oops, somebody took him. I wouldn't, to me, the number one pick is grade out your board. If Evan Neal, in your estimation, is the best player you can get, you go get him. Because you literally can take anybody you want. And I know people say, well, had Ben said this. Well, if I have so-and-so drafted higher and I have 13 linebackers, but my highest-rated guy's linebacker, I'm going to get that. No, I, I, I say you can have the number one guy at any position. I look at my roster at that point and say, my, the number one guy at any position on the board, I don't need a quarterback. I don't need a running back. I could use a defensive end, but I need to protect my quarterback. Who is my highest graded tackle? We think it's Evan Neal. If it's not, if it's somebody else, go get him and make sure that Trevor Lawrence uh, spends more time standing up than he does laying down. Yes, I. more times than not, I think there are exceptions, but more times than not when I look at a draft board, for me, I think you have to have need as a leading Part of that, and you may have a guy that I don't know how they do it numerically, but you may have a guy that's a 97, 96, and maybe this guy's a 95, but you really need that position. I think that has to be paramount in your thinking, and it it makes me a little nervous sometimes when you say I'm going to go just regardless of position, what the top ranked, who the top ranked player on my board is, because I don't know that that always makes a team better. You know, to get better, you have to address your weaknesses, and. I think sometimes those weaknesses are are pretty clear. Like with Jacksonville, you needed a quarterback. You got Trevor Lawrence. That's going to be a multi-year thing. But to your point, and I've really been saying this since the mock draft started, your offensive line is 
is is is okay. Uh, you've invested some resources there. Cam Robinson is a free agent at the end of the well, the season's over. He's a free agent. Cam uh, for the Jaguars. Cam Robinson is a left tackle right now, unless you re-sign him. And I don't know how much money you're going to want to spend. You you have a question mark at left tackle. Evan Neal is 6'5", 340. Put him at right tackle if you, if you get both of them. And yeah. you have and you have Jawan Taylor as well. I mean, you have options, but. Evan Neal has started every single game at Alabama. Came in as a true freshman at Alabama, starting right away. 6'5", 340, has dominated in the college football playoff, has done a great job in conference championship games in the SEC. Uh, I'm not a technician when it comes to evaluating the offensive lineman, but a lot of people have said, hey, this guy does it, does it every possible way, is big, is strong, is athletic. I know uh, Drew Drew DeArmond uh, from over in the uh, Alabama area was telling us that despite his size, you might think, oh, he's limited with his mobility because he's close to 350 pounds. No, he is not. And if Trevor Lawrence, not only if Trevor Lawrence is hurt, clearly that's a major problem. But as we saw this year at times, if Trevor Lawrence is being harassed at the line of scrimmage, you're limited with what you can do offensively. And in comparing and contrasting Neal to, say, Thibodeau or Hutchinson, and and I think both those guys have a lot to offer, I don't know that it's as simple as plug-and-play with what you have going on right now defensively as it is offensively because if you get Neely comes in, he starts day one. Do we even know what Jacksonville's running yet defensively? They were running a 3-4, and now they have a new coach, or they will have a new coach. No, they don't have a new coach. Well, that's true. They have no coach, (laughs) but they will have a new coach. So here's what I'm asking. Evan Neal, came correct me if I'm wrong, is is left I believe Thibodeau and Hutchinson were both 4-3 defensive ends. So based on what your roster has been constructed to this point – you have a team of three, four front seven players. So if you draft Thibodeau or Hutchinson, you're clearly, I would assume, going to a four-three, and that's a schematic change. If you're not, I think that's another another element of the unknown where you're saying, I'm going to draft a guy number one overall and ask him to play a different position than what he played in college. Which you see that I'm not saying that's unovercomable, but I think I mean that's you just could a- potentially do that with Evan Neal too. So I mean, true, I- but but I think. You have seen you have seen specific roles for Hutchinson and Thibodeau. I have Thibodeau higher than Hutchinson for me. Uh, I also think while those guys would make you better, if we're talking about where do you need help, I mean, I, I think we would all agree. Who, who's Jacksonville's best player? Ask in the room. Red. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, Josh Allen. Allen. Yeah, Josh Allen. Yeah. yeah. So so your best player is an edge rusher. You don't have a ton of just with all due respect, you don't have a ton of kind of Pro Bowl star caliber players on your roster. One of the few guys that you have. Is, is, is Josh Allen. So if I'm looking at a big board and saying, I can make Jacksonville better, yes, you could use two edge rushers. That would be great. But I don't know that the need for a second edge rusher is as dramatic as it is for a anchor offensive lineman to protect your quarterback. Like Thibodeau a lot. I think he, number one pick to me, I mean, I think about the, the, the production, living up to the expectations out of high school, I think what Hutchinson did late in the season prior to the playoff was remarkable, but you do wonder, sometimes I'm a little hesitant with the guys that have like the meteoric rise, right, where it's like, I, you know, three, four months ago, was anybody talking about Hutchinson as being the number one overall pick? Probably not, and I wonder if that's kind of a little bit of maybe going all in too quick in terms of, yeah, he had a great game against Ohio State, clearly, first-round pick, but to be the number one overall pick, I think – that's come a little fast for me. Maybe he'll validate that more with the pro days and all that on the horizon. But I think if you're Jacksonville, for me, uh, Evan Neal just makes so much sense. You have to protect Trevor Lawrence. A lot of talk about what are you going to be offensively? You're getting Travis Etienne back. 
You're going to have DJ Shark back. Remember, ETN missed the whole year. Shark got hurt in, what, the first or second game. What can this offense be? Well, if you can't block, it doesn't matter. And I think there are some guys could have some uh, roster attrition up front. I think Evan Neal just makes all the sense in the world. Uh, he, you know, again, we'll see how this thing you know twists and shapes. Uh, BJ, maybe you have a different thought depending on who comes in as head coach. Obviously, I like the fact that the NFL allows teams to do free agency first. I think that, to me, has always made more sense. Let's pay guys who've already done it in the league and then supplement our roster after that. So we'll see what a coach – I mean, the Jags could address some of that with a free agent. They, they have a lot free, of money. Yeah, with a free agency class uh, coming in and say, look, we may not need a left tackle if we can go out in free agency and secure some of that. So uh, it, right now it looks like a good deal. I, I think you need to – there's two things, in my opinion, uh, you need to do because B.J. is still an offensive league. You need to protect Trevor Lawrence – and give him as many weapons as possible to score points with. Right? I mean, the end. I, I, I think you look at it and say that. If we stink on defense, but this offense goes from, what, scoring about 13 to 17 a game up to 28 a game or something, what a difference that could be just for your defense, so the offense able to put uh, more points on the board. So I, I look at Jacksonville and say, look, this is about protecting your quarterback and becoming explosive, more dynamic on offense. It's an offensive league. Uh, even, I mean, look at who we talked about about playing the play. Mahomes, Brady, Aaron Rodgers, uh, uh, Josh Allen. None of those cats obviously play defense. They're scoring points and moving the football. And I think that's the direction the league is uh, is certainly going. we got much more to come here on 3 and Out. A lot going on in the transfer portal, recruiting around college football. We'll hear from Tom Van Heeren, uh coming up here in just a little bit. And we'll talk about all the, the latest there at Georgia and just college football as a whole. This is 3 and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.